0: You are now listening to The Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Writing Black. Now, if you're a regular re- listener, you might already know that in addition to being an avid reader and a regular writer, I am also a musician, Um a Grammy-nominated musician, so I, I, you know, I've been in this music game for a minute, and so when I have musicians on the podcast, particularly singer-songwriters, I am really, really excited and. The guest we have on today is somebody I'm really excited about, Rhiannon Giddens, who is a uh, Grammy-nominated MacArthur genius (laughs) writer um, and musician uh, who has written in multiple genres. And I'm just so excited to have her here with us today. Some of you might know her if you were, like me, a fan of uh, the show Nashville. Uh, Rhiannon was on Nashville. She's also, uh, you know produced albums. She, uh, you know, there's so many things to talk about and we're going to talk about them all in the podcast. But hi Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and joining us all the way from Ireland. So, you know, we're we're working with a major time difference here. <laughs> well, it's it, there's a smaller time difference than you think. I live I do still live there, but I'm actually in LA right now. Okay, well good. Okay, so we're only okay. 2 hours apart right now. I'm in Chicago. Okay. You're in LA. I love it. Um, And, you know, we are here to talk about your newest piece of work. We're going to talk about all of your work. But um, your newest piece of work is Build a Home, which is this really, really lovely children's book that you've just produced, um, which I will admit I did not expect (laughs) from you (laughs) at at this juncture. Tell me how did this project come about? (laughs) Well, it
1: it was... um... I believe the last time you and I talked it was still pandemic it was still pandemic yeah. times or you know, yeah. and um those kind of connections are really really important like I just remember kind of going, oh, I have a little bit of my <laughs> let's keep talking cause <laughs> you know I'm not getting this here in Ireland I mean I love Ireland, but like you know um it's a different culture and it's a different yeah uh, it's a different place and when the lockdown was, was happening, well, the pandemic, we were locked down pretty hard. You know, um, it, it it just kind of opened up new vistas um, mm-hmm. than I, I, I had before. And, it, uh, you know, doing children's books has always been sort of a, a dream of mine. But it was really not until the pandemic um, lockdown that I could see an avenue for that and build a house kind of became... The, the song kind of became, you know, a um a way in to that world, which mm-hmm. I couldn't have really planned or expected. You brought me here to build your house, build your house, build your house, you brought me, here, build your house and blow your
0: garden fine. For you, being a songwriter, um there is obviously a really organic symbiosis here in terms of what that means. And you're also a parent. So, you know, writing a children's book, I I would assume takes on different dimension there as well. I guess tell us about the song because I mean, you're right, like, home took on a totally different meaning to all of us, you know, during the, uh, the early days, especially of the pandemic, I refuse to say it's over. But, definitely not you know uh because we're, we're we've adapted let's say that we've adapted um but in those early days when we really didn't know what to expect where to go what to do how to live um home took on a new meeting so yeah like, like let's talk about this writing process of like going from song to to text
1: well it was, it was yeah it was really interesting i guess because i was just really frustrated um, with being locked down during like the height of the protests in in America. And I had been already thinking about like, what Mm -hmm. is it, what does home mean? What does it mean? Where am I? Like what's going on right now? Um, I couldn't get home, home being, you know, in that instance, North Carolina or the United States. And and so all of those things become, you know, I I suddenly had a small tiny window into the immigrant experience, you know, um, particularly, particularly mm-hmm. years past where like when you left, like that was it, you know, you weren't going yeah. back. You were, you know, lucky if you met other folks from there, all of these kind of things, you know? And so it kind of gave me a tiny, 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 tiny window into that. But also I was just really frustrated with the continuing ignorance, um, about where American history comes from, you know, and just how mm-hmm. we keep having to tell the story and, I don't know. So I, I I wrote the song, Build a House, because, you know, I was just yeah. sort of like, and then it's just like, you freaking brought us over here to build this whole freaking thing. And now you don't want us to have a fair share of it. That doesn't make any sense. Um, right. Just, you know, just because I've thought about this stuff for a very long time. And, and so, like, you brought me here to build a house, like, just kind of came and then I Mm -hmm. wrote the rest of the song and the thing is like when you think about because because what happened was you know Yo-Yo Ma reached out to me about recording something together for Juneteenth and I had just written Build a House so we did that and somebody said in the comments this could be a kid's book and I was like huh you know I always wanted to do kids books and so the thing about the way that I write songs a lot of the time is that I write very heavily influenced by folk traditions Mm-hmm. And so those traditions are very there there are things that happen within writing a ballad that work you know kind of hand in hand with what you do for writing a kid's book you know the the language should be very direct the um, it's repetitive sometimes um, and it's just it's a very kind of the language is you're packing a lot into a very little and that's what you do when you write a ballad and and it really that's is kind right. of what you're doing when you write a children's book. so You know, um, Candlewick, uh, Karen Lotz at Candlewick Press, you know, saw the, I think, potential in adapting these lyrics um, for a kid's book. And so, you know, they 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 wanted to they wanted to jump in with me into this children's book publishing world which is amazing
0: so (laughs) no it is amazing and i I love the story and i i love i I mean the illustrations are also amazing so let's shout out monica mckay who uh, illustrated this book she's everything it's really gorgeous it's really gorgeous (laughs) so i'm sure the idea of coming you know it's like i mean these opening lines you brought me here as you just said you brought me here to build your house to build your house to build your house and i think like you know i mean you look at this illustration and i think uh, for you know, African-Americans, you know, who are descendants of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, that's always, that's always what we have to come back to is like, you know, you, you brought me here then, you know, and now you don't want me, But <laughs> you know, and that's did, it's like, really. that's its own thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. You never did. You never did, but I was useful to you. Yes, um, you, wanted, you wanted my, my labor. I, you yeah. know what? It, you wanted my labor. You wanted my labor. Um, and I love that you just talked about the folk tradition because, you know, one of the things I love about you as an artist, um, you know, and for people who are familiar with Carolina, chocolate drops, you know, that's you. Much nothing comes for free. All you
1: need is with your family. I am a country girl.
0: I've been around the world.
1: And every place I've been ain't quite nothing like living in the south.
0: Your work as a historian, as a music historian, um, as well as an artist, like somebody who really brings us back to the very, very African or African-American roots of folk music, of country music, of blues, you know, um, I, I feel like you gave me an entire history of the banjo once, which, you know, I know is your, your, your primary instrument, Um you know, why do you think, I mean, you know, as you said, we keep having to tell this story over and over again of how foundational we are, not just to, um, the structural foundation of America, but also the cultural foundation of America. Is that like something that you consider part of your life's work or is it just something that is adjacent?
1: I mean, it's kind of my, it's kind of my life's work. I can't, I can't get away from it. And, and what I feel like I'm I, I can't leave, is, the, is that idea of the cultural history of the United States. And, you know, just as so many buildings were built by enslaved people, not only the buildings, but the brick. You know, when you think mm-hmm. of the brick itself was made by enslaved people so, so many times. But people, when they see the edifice, they see the building, they, they don't see that. And I feel like that's the mm-hmm. case with American music. You see American music, and there's some places where, you can, where it's been allowed to see what our contributions are. And then there's a lot of places where it has not been allowed to see the, our fingerprints mm-hmm. in the brick, you know? And I feel like that's what I'm doing musically. is It's like musical ar- archaeology, I guess. Um, because I, I feel like it's, it, it, because music has been used as a tool to divide us and it's always been a tool to bring us together. And that's why they use it, you know, because they see how powerful it is. And it is one of those places culturally where people come together is through music, through art. And so it is therefore used by the folks in power, that very same tool is used to kind of, you know, be- because um, they see the power of it. I mean, it is, it is one of the deepest connections to being human that we have. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's immense, you know, and our contributions and our creations and our innovations um, within the fabric of American culture you know, like the more that we can make that clear that it's been a part of it from the very beginning before Jamestown, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been a part of it from the very beginning. We talk, about go back to the Caribbean, we're talking, you know, um, the clearer that is and the more people understand that, the, the more people understand how artificial the divisions are, I think.
0: I Just agree, mine. and I no, I want to talk about that more. We're going to be right back, though. Uh, we're going to take a minute for a, a commercial break, and we'll be right back with more Riding Black. Okay, and we are back with Rhiannon Giddens, the Grammy Award-winning uh, MacArthur Fellow. <laughs> Um, who has written this amazing children's book, Build a House, and who has also you know we were just talking about um music history and how f- integral um we are african music african American music to the American cultural sh- tradition, which is work that you've been doing for a really long time um y- you know you brought to fruition an opera. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know listen I know nothing about I know about writing songs I do not know about <laughs> writing an opera <laughs> like I don't know anything about that process how that works and and I, I would love for you to tell us a about the inspiration behind it behind it the in just the process itself because I think that's a whole other genre that we don't get to hear a lot about on this show but again when we talk about the writing process this is as relevant as any other so I'd love to hear about that, how that came, you know, into fruition.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was pretty intense. I mean, you think about like a three minute song, well, you got to go to an hour and a half or two hour opera. Some things were the same. Some things were, were different. You know, I was lucky or smart or whatever enough to know who to collaborate with. So I collaborated with Michael Abels, who was the He's a film score. I mean, he's a composer, and and he writes a lot of film scores. He does a lot of stuff with Jordan Peele. Um, that's how I kind of got to know him was the music of Get Out, which I thought was really amazing. Okay. And it really so I was. reached out to yeah. him. Yeah, so I reached out to him to you know kind of collaborate with me on this project. I said, look, I can write the libretto, and I can write the music, like in terms of the songs and the melodies and stuff. But I don't know how to orchestrate. I don't know the orchestra. It's a really big scale project, and you know he came on board. And, um, it's just, it was an amazing process. Um, but I had to start with the man himself, which is Omar bin Said, who was, um, mm-hmm. a Senegalese Quranic scholar, you know, sold into slavery. And he was, he lived as a slave, an enslaved person for over 50 years in North Carolina. And he wrote his autobiography in Arabic. And it's the only document we have, you know, of an enslaved person writing in Arabic, writing their, their own, their own story. Uh, and it's kind of incredible. Um, and I was from North Carolina. I am from North Carolina, and I didn't know about this at all. Um, when I found out about it, I was just mm-hmm. stunned and shocked and angry, as usual. <laughs> um, so I took uh, took it on, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. But um, that's kind of where I, I think I work best, is when I don't know what I'm doing. So, um, and, and as long as I get the right people to work with, and then I just kind of let the instincts and the ancestors kind of go. And that's what happened with the libretto. I just the libretto being the words of the opera, um, mm-hmm. said so I just kind of let it flow. And, and yeah, it was really interesting trying to figure out what's the story. You know, he was 37. He was captured at 37. You know, when you think of that, he survived the Middle Passage. He survived his first master, which evidently was a terrible, horrible, violent man that he ran away from, all the way from Charleston, South Carolina, up to North Carolina, like in a land that he didn't know anything about at 37. It's just a, it's an astonishing story, um, and it deserves a big a big stage. And it is opera also. We deserve opera, and opera deserves us. You know what I mean? Like black people have been singing opera like since jump, and it's it, it is a it's an art form that came from folk music. You know, when you trace it all the way back to Italy and and. Um, it was not ever meant to be only for some people like that's just become a thing. It's become elitist sized, if that's a word, which angers me because it is such a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful art form. And and I think everybody should have access to it. And then also our stories need to be told in that art form as well. So yeah, I have a lot of thoughts.
0: Uh, I love those thoughts <laughs> those are listen the musician in me loves those thoughts and I want to talk about them more we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Writing Black and we're back with uh, Rhiannon Giddens who is an incredible singer songwriter children's book author now um, librettist uh, we were just talking about opera and, um, and and again you know our roots in that tradition is there a great artistic tradition that you can't find blackness in. I guess I I, I haven't found one yet. Nope. Um, we everywhere <laughs> it's we, just... we, listen, if anti blackness is everywhere, that means blackness is everywhere, right? Exactly. <laughs> There's that. I mean <laughs> European literature, we there too. Yeah. Okay. yeah.
1: Listen. <laughs> we are allas. I mean, um, you know, so
0: exactly. Uh, yes, exactly that. His dad, all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this particular narrative also strikes me because, you know, we hear a lot about, and, and and I would say in tandem with your book, your uh, your new book, like, we hear a lot from people like, oh, I don't want to hear any more slavery narratives. I don't want to, you know, uh, like, like there's some exhaustion, some like, you know, historical fatigue. And I would say, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not in that particular camp. Um, I understand the emotional fatigue of it. I also you know, we look at where we are right now in terms of this whole CRT, uh, this inane situation here. i I make no bones about saying that's inane. <laughs> and, you know, and we look at a book like yours. We look at the kind of books that they're trying to ban and who they're trying to ban. Um, why do you feel it's important to keep telling these stories?
1: I mean, I really don't feel like we've I feel like we've just started. That's the thing that gets me. Like, people are like, "Why do we always got to? Why do we always got to talk about race?" I'm like, Number one, y'all brought it up, right?
0: <laughs> Word,
1: <laughs> right? Word. We didn't start talking about race. We had no interest. Right. Nobody was talking about it before you, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, okay, let's get that out of the way. Number two, we haven't begun. We haven't begun. Like, when you talk about actual conversation where everybody's bringing an interest to get to a better place to the table, that's not happening, right? Three, I was just listening to a podcast about Billy the Kid because that's what I do. I listen to historical myth busting podcasts. Um, and you know how many movies there've been about Billy the Kid? Like forty. He gets forty movies, and 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 Harriet gets one. And we we talk so much about race. Like how many World War II movies are there? How many? You know what I mean? It's just like
0: we're people say that because it gets one stagecoach Mary gets some mention in the heart of they fall like yeah, right exactly. you know and
1: like she actually has like an amazing life like I mean not, no shade on Billy the kid but you know he's been done right. I just think I think that people are just they don't want to talk about it so mm-hmm. they say why do we keep talking about it because I'm like you actually just don't want to talk about it because it what it what it does is when you have substantive really good conversations about race, what it does is that it, it shows how shaky the foundation is. It shows it's just a house of cards. And it also shows Mm -hmm. where the true power lies. And people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that race has been used as a tool, not only to keep some people as a permanent underclass, but also to keep everybody else as variations of of a theme. You know, you can't talk about blackness without talking about whiteness and the moving bullseye Mm -hmm. of it. And the way religion is tied mm-hmm. up in it. And you, and, you know, the way that people keep all the folks that are, like, under the 2%, like, fighting each other so they don't realize that all the power is held by the 2%. So it's just, like, I get it. I get it. But, like, some of us don't have an option of yeah. not talking about it. I don't actually think anybody has the option. I think the our country is poisoned. And the poison will not run clear until we actually really talk about it, like in ways that mean that we need to be educated about it (laughs) as a big hill. That's a really big hill. I get it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge hill. Um, And we're going to talk about the hill. Um, We will be right back with more riding black and we're back. Uh, Rihanna, we were talking about the big hill of uh, discussing race, discussing the legacy of slavery, discussing accountability um you live a very international life um how does that how is that like I guess further informing your craft you know living abroad I know that there's a lot of uh first of all there's always been a lot of history in your music um but how is it informing I guess maybe your writing and your politics now
1: I mean just being being removed has been really interesting like so being it, it's a break in some ways, but it's also frustrating in others because it means I can't, you know, I, I have to really plan my trips because I can't be flying all over the place. And yeah. my kids live in Ireland and I have to, you know. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, it's also a nice kind of pause and break because Ireland has a very tough history, but it's not mine. You yeah. know, so there's a different kind of connection to it. I can see it as, a, as an ally, um, yeah. But not, yeah, you know, definitely so
0: colonials' history for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And like Irish. And being people... there,
0: yeah. <laughs> like yeah, being there when it's... Queen Elizabeth passes is like, whoa, you know. Yeah, I feel like super... Black Twitter was like, oh, wait, I- Ireland said hold our beer. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Black Twitter and Irish Twitter were like having a
1: party. It was, it was pretty like, funny.
0: It was like a whole situation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we my sister like, kept oh, sending okay. me stuff. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. And it was an interesting. You know, what I feel like when I'm in Ireland is that I feel like there's a there's a big pillar of American society of of black and Irish collaboration that hasn't really been explored a, other than a few words about tap, you know, in a very reductive way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what happens with with the Irish is that they climb out of blackness into whiteness, you know, right. and so right. it obscures some of that you know, which is what happens over and over the, the, the Southern Italians did it too. You know, they came in and it was like, oh, yeah. hey, you know, and then it was like, they oh, are
0: oh. basically recruited to assimilate. And then yes. like, you know, yeah. that looks appealing and they can, so they do. Exactly.
1: And, you know, yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I'm really interested in, in where those collaborations were and are, and how we can look at that and go, this is a great example of how we do it. This is how we've done mm-hmm. it. And we can't mm-hmm. let them cover it up because, You know, that's, that is literally our superpower is collaboration and, and change and move. You know what I mean? It's like an adaptation. Mm -hmm. And so wherever we've done that with other people, I think that's what I'm really interested in. that's where all the great music stuff comes out of is all of that, you know, the edge, you know, rubbing up against other other folks and then kind of creating this, this new amazing thing. And then of course it gets commodified and (laughs) And So packaged up and sold back to us. And I'm like, wait a minute. And we get removed from it and then it gets sold, you know, on. So, I mean, there's bad parts to it too, but I, I'm, I'm really trying to like get to the good parts. And so it's, it's nice to be in Ireland and, and having these conversations with some of the, you know, I'm working with the university of Limerick and starting to have yeah. these conversations, you know, from de- descendants of the groups that work together. Like now we're talking to each other and that's, that's really cool.
0: It is cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. Uh we're gonna talk about more of that and more about Rhiannon Giddens and her incredible career when we come back with more writing black. So Rhiannon, we're back. we were just talking about conversations um being had, like inter intercultural, interracial conversations. I loved what you were just talking about about um you know, the assimilation factor, which you know, we talk about it like it's I mean, listen, when I say that when I talk about assimilating, it's like, first of all, we've seen that all over. We see it in the black community. We've seen it outside the black community. And I that's I think that's less of an indictment of the communities that assimilate than it is of how white supremacy functions. Make 100%. It, like you have to, obviously. Yes. So <laughs> I want to make that clear. 100%. Um, I think we all do what we have to kind of do to survive. And, you know, I do equally feel like one of the things that you are so effective at doing and that I admire so deeply about you as an artist and a creator is this preservation of um particular American cultural traditions in which a lot of us don't see ourselves right you know so um you know whether that be this folk music tradition that On an intellectual level, a lot of us may may understand, but when we think about what is black music, right, we don't think folk music. We don't, like, it just doesn't occur to a lot of people. Country doesn't occur to us. We don't, even though we're all up and through. um, I know you started a project um, a few years ago with some colleagues in the industry. Um, I'm I'm hoping, I'm going to say it right, our Native daughters. I follow the stars Um, And, like, you know, I want to talk about, like, that part. Like, preserving our place in this American lexicon of, you know, as you just said, these things that are packaged and then handed back to us like they don't belong to us in the first place. Right. You know, like, in your work in in preserving that.
1: Yeah, this is the thing. It's, It's like you know, there's two parts to it. It's like the discovery of the actual, our actual engagement in, in that, in the creation of these of these types mm-hmm. of musics. And then there is the, how we are erased from it. And like, you have to kind of grapple mm-hmm. with both of those things. And that's kind of, you know, from, from the banjo on, that's been sort of what has driven me. And it's like, when you think about how important our, being there is it wouldn't may american music wouldn't be what it is at all you know con, uh, square dance calling the way that american old time tunes are like all of these things are actually like completely wrapped up in our involvement in it the black string band being so popular being so widespread being you know um there way before minstrelsy
0: you know, oh like, absolutely. I remember string, I was having know. a conversation with my partner really recently, and I was saying to him, I was like, you know, you you realize they used to train um, musicians so they can entertain the white people, <laughs> you know, like like we had our own organic thing, but also they would train these like string quartets, like that was like a whole thing that you would like do at your parties and like have your enslaved people in the corner over there with their like violins and their whatever. Um, which I always what think is really interesting.
1: And what they're know. doing is they are, they are in, in they they are bringing in a European dance, you know, music and dance styles, and they are incorporating that all together with, you know, what they brought over from Africa. And so they're playing for themselves, they're playing for white parties. they they're, they're doing, they are actually c- c- carrying the musical DNA back and forth between the different cultural groups. Is the Black String Band, you know, and so there's a real. I think uh, we still don't know like enough about how important they were. And there's, there's a lot of research that I'm drawing from that's been done, but it's like, they were the ones who were like shoveling back and forth. I mean, a hundred years before the, the minstrel show, you know, black and black people were playing the fiddle and banjo together, you know, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't in the South. It was in Rhode Island. You know what I mean? It was up, (laughs) it was up North where it was written down that somebody saw that happen. I mean, it was happening in the South, obviously, but you know, this was happening everywhere. It wasn't like, you know, anyway, it's, it's, it's a long story to get from how did we co-create old-time music and the beginnings of country music and bluegrass and actually made the banjo and were the only ones to play it for hundreds of years. Like, how did we get from that to, oh, all of it, obviously, all of this is white music that was written in the Appalachian Mountains by, you know... Uh, Scotch Irish people or whatever, you know, the story is. Right. And and so that's the story to me that's interesting is like why, when it happens, why it happens. It's all happening at this point in history, you know, when you think about like leading up into the twenties where things start to get codified and commercial recordings and you know, then we start having images in the media and things, and that's how things get sort of cemented. But like it's starting it's it's a it's a fear, you know, it's white people are afraid that the race is going to get dissipated into these colors, you know, which is why they're so against miscegenation and so against anybody interacting together. And you just see it over and over again, this fear. And so Mm -hmm. we have to shore up our cultural identity as white people in America, right? Because like we, we need, we are strong and we, you know, so that's when you start seeing it over and over and over again. It's like this, this trying to, you know, our connection to England and to Ireland and like, you know, the old country, and this is our cultural heritage. And that's the good, you know, these are the foundations of the, of the country. And like black people had nothing to do with that. They were in the field singing their blues crap, you know, I mean, it's like literally. It, right. it, they're I, spirituals, I'm,
0: they're call and response. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and that's what they do. And we do this and there's no in between. And the, like the over and over again, the fear comes when there's mixing. The fear comes when Mm. they see white culture start to want what this is and then just start to change it and it goes back and forth. So it's very important to keep them in separate boxes. And that means they have to erase one of the main strands, which would be African-American, you know, creation in that music. So what it does is that it just continues this narrative of, you know, America was, was based on white culture, whatever that is, And that black people kind of survived in it and created some fun stuff that they get to, you know, we get to, you know, use and, and Mm -hmm. (laughs) make money off of, but like the culture of America, it doesn't have anything to do with black people. And, and that's a really, really strong narrative thread. And it's infuriating because it's just the most untrue thing that ever was spoke. You know, American culture is African-American culture. Like that's, we're, we're there to stay. There's no getting us out. Sorry. You know, yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, I right. And without us, friends, there is you know? no you. There is exactly. no you without us, exactly. exactly. And, and 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 you know, as we know, whiteness cannot define itself except for in contrast to blackness. There's also that, um, and we're going to talk about that more. And I also want to talk about another kind of siloing I've seen. As soon as we come back, with more writing black. Okay, so you know, Rihanna, I want to talk to you about something uh, a little more personal. Uh, you know, I know when I um, went through the whole grammy mes- machine one of the things that's really interesting so i was i was nominated in a category I, I don't even think exists anymore which was the urban alternative category which i used to joke was like where they put all the black people who weren't like r&b and <laughs> and jazz and and gospel like i was mm-hmm. like they just don't know what to do with us So they were like okay like where do we put like the Lenny Kravitzes and the Michelle and Diego cellos mm-hmm. and you know I, the year I was nominated, Janelle Monet also got her first nomination. It was like you know, so like you know, just like all of us who didn't fit to these uh, prototypical black genres. Um, and as somebody who also, you I know, mean, as foundational as we've just as you have just proven um, and and re- and restated that that black influences. is on American music just in general um you know it's not easy for them is it like they just like I feel like the Grammys you know when we like here we are this is like the biggest award you can get in music and um and this is not to take away anything from and I listen like I will be I proudly am a Grammy nominee for the rest of my life and I'm sure you are proudly a Grammy winner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for the rest of yours but it is so interesting to me that they have such a hard time knowing where to put us right yeah like, I mean
1: where do we but go that's deep, that's deep history
0: <laughs> that's deep history
1: though and it's like yeah. I'm always conflicted about the Grammys because yeah,
0: yeah. which we, that's mm-hmm. a whole other
1: topic um, I, it's the same it is and I'm saying. not I'm, trying
0: to throw the Grammys on the bus it no the I mean bus, I have yeah. I, did, I didn't give I, it back you know what I mean like I that's, <laughs>
1: exactly that right, right. But it, the thing is, it's like the Grammys itself is not really what I'm talking about. It's what the Grammys is based on, which is this right, you know, separation exactly. of music. And that goes back to the mm-hmm. 20s. And we have to think about, like, the music industry is a very young industry. It's super young. Mm-hmm. When you think about humans and music, we're talking millennia. We're talking 100 years of recorded industry. Like, it's very young. And it began on, on division, You know, because it's like we had to... I mean, it was like the record industry began to sell record players. That's it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, this was not... Let's capture all the beauty of the music. No, it was like, let's capture the music that we can then package up and sell back to that ethnic group. And so there was all this quote-unquote ethnic music like on these labels and then they got the idea to go get stuff in the South and then the division of race records and hillbilly records. That's where it all begins. And so everything is really branching from that. Even the idea of folk music gets coded as white music also around this time. Again, this is the time I was talking about earlier with this like kind of creation, this mythical creation of a white cultural heritage that is like, that is, um, uh, what is the word? I don't, I can't remember it. where it all looks the same and that we're not in there at all. Yes. You know, um, yeah. you know, the idea of a, of a white guy with a guitar being the emblem of folk music. When well, what is folk music? Folk music is it's music is blues. It's just, you know what I mean? It's all, it's just music that people created themselves mm-hmm. to reflect what was going on in their culture. And even that was part of the music industry in terms of how it was marketed it became coded as white. And so when people say folk music, they mean a very specific idea of what it is. It's a white guy with a guitar or a banjo strumming along, singing kind of ballad type stuff that's connected to the mm-hmm. Anglo Celtic tradition. That's not mm-hmm. what folk music is in my book, you know, but it's like we have to fight against that and what it does, is it keeps perpetuating these divisions. You know, when you look at the like first big folk festivals, it was like all the black people, you know, that these white folk stars were inspired by were there too. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's just like, it, if you dig a little bit, you see them there, but are they on the main stages? You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I, I didn't listen to Bob Dylan. I listened to who Bob Dylan listened to. Like, right. so I don't know what Bob, I don't know Bob Dylan songs. I know like a few, you know, and that right. was just, that was my choice. Cause I, I was interested in the source material, but it's like, you know, again, you get something that is here and then it's packaged up and it turns here and, and memories are short generations, 20, 20 years, you know, That's true.
0: what's, it's what's true. recorded I mean, is, scrac- is what is reminded, scratch elvis remembered. and what do you get right like right
1: <laughs> i mean it's just like it's just the story is over and over and over again and it just doesn't take away from like elvis's artistry mm-hmm. his honest you know his honest sort of like coming out of all of the cultures that he yeah. was being around his
0: admiration his interpretation sure all of that. Yeah.
1: you know yeah. and like and and all of that but it's just like once again when you get to who's making the who's making the categories, who's profiting off of the categories, who's you know, who is benefiting from this continued narrative, you know, like the banjo was blackly black, right? Mm-hmm. For Many, many, many years. Everybody knew. (laughs) Everybody knew. I was like, every, like pictures, like you put, show a banjo. That's black people. Like it was an emblem of black people. And for the fact that it has been completely 180 degree turned. So that even many people in our own community, most people in our own community don't know that. That's powerful narrative rewriting and erasure. And we just have to put the blame where it belongs so just like you know it's usually outside of the working class it's usually these people you know what i mean i don't know Mm -hmm. um no people yeah i'm not saying it's a conspiracy it's just the way that the structure is is made
0: i mean at a certain point it's bigger than a conspiracy it's just it's habit you know it's like erasure becomes habit like anything else exactly Mm -hmm. um well, you know, you as a historian, as a writer, as I would like to say, and, and I I love, you know, you are a cultural archaeologist, you're a musical archaeologist. Who do you, who do you listen to? Who do you read? Who inspires you culturally? Like who, who do you look to? I guess as a writer, since we're talking about writing, who who do you look to? As a writer, I mean,
1: you know, all the greats. Um, I <laughs> mean, James Baldwin is like, <laughs> yes, if it, if it, I, sometimes I'm like, why should I say anything? Cause he said it all, you know what I mean? He's just like True. so many things that he said so brilliantly, you know, musically, of course, Nina Simone is such a, is such an inspiration, mm-hmm. um, on the pure history front. I have to say, I've, I've really been enjoying a lot. Um, I, like I said, I listen to history podcasts and uh, there's a, a Canadian high school history teacher that has a podcast called Our Fake History. And it's really, really brilliant. He, like, takes, like, the myths, and then he just busts them down, like, piece by piece. And he's he's got a great... And he, I listened to his one about rock and roll, and I was like, here's your test, Sebastian. Here's your test. And he <laughs> passed with flying colors. I was like, he he did it just right. Because the thing is about history is that anybody who's saying they know everything, that's like... I they're off my list immediately because history is a, an evolving it's an evolving um uh discipline that says as mm-hmm. much about the writer as it does about what they're writing about and as soon mm-hmm. as you understand that you realize you know there's a, there's a lot to be learned and anybody who is you know going look it's not about who did it first it's about who popularized it right <laughs> that's you know but the, but it gets mythologized as this and this and this and that obscures the actual community based energy that goes into his history you know it's like galileo didn't invent the telescope but there's like all of these people at the same time who were coming up with the same thing and it's this idea but he's the one that we remember because he he did some amazing things with it so it's kind of like you know anything for me that complicates the narrative is probably the right <laughs> It's probably the right story, you know, because the the narratives that have a that have a a, a, a plot to them, you know, that are trying mm-hmm. to do something, they're usually the ones that are so simplified that it doesn't invite any kind of
0: discussion. Um. i love this conversation so much it makes me so happy Rhiannon giddens you are uh first of all you're one of a kind i just so appreciate you i appreciate what you're putting out into the world i always appreciate talking to you and i appreciate this because now we have a whole new generation uh to appeal to with build a house you know we built this house that we know as america uh i love this book i love talking to you Thank you so much for uh, joining us on this week's episode of Writing Black.
1: Thank you for having me. And one more shout out to Monica Mackay, who made the most amazing, beautiful family. And that little girl and her banjo, like literally gave gave me life every day. So it would be nothing without her. She did an amazing job.
0: I love it. You guys check out Build a House. And uh, I have a feeling this will not be the last time we'll be talking to you, Rhiannon, but thank you so much for your time and your candor and your perspective is always so appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, thanks for having me. We will be back in a minute with more Writing Black. All right, let's get back into it. Welcome back to Writing Black. All right, this is the part of the episode where I talk about what I'm reading and what I recommend. Uh, we like to call it my favorites. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, that I said over and over again during my discussion with Rhiannon is just, you know, this idea of history, this idea of our place in history um, and, and making sure that that is not just recognized, but celebrated. So, you know, I think one thing she does so artfully is bring that history to the forefront Um You know, we've been hearing a lot about Sister Rosetta Tharp lately. We were talking about Elvis a little bit in our conversation. Sister Rosetta Tharp was a huge influence on him. She was also really one of the foundational, if not the foundational figure in what we know now as American rock and roll, which is largely still largely looked at as a a white American art form, but really has its foundations in uh, the black blues tradition. Um, so, you know, as we try to instill this knowledge in younger generations, um, I highly recommend, uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp by J.P. Miller. This is a children's book. Um, I, 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 again, I cannot impress enough, like how, um, just these little early hints, this early knowledge, um, can be so, uh, just game changing for, for young readers, for young creators, for young musicians. Like I was once another book I might recommend that is coming out, um, from, you know, uh, really, an American treasure um, is the Green Piano by Roberta Flack. Uh, I remember being a child, and one of the the early books that I read. My my stepmom used to take me to the library, and she'd make me pick out a biography. And I remember reading a biography of Roberta Flack, and she talked about uh, her family getting this second hand green piano, um, or maybe even painted it green, and it was like a tragic piano like like i feel like some mice had died it. it had a little smell to it but this is how she learned to play and be a songwriter and she's also written a a children's book called the green piano co-written a a children's book based on that experience so i'm gonna say these two books on these two incredible black women who are such integral parts of our american musical musical tradition are books that you should be sharing with your little ones and those are my favorites this week and we will see you next week on another episode of writing black thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of writing black as always you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts